0: Thank you, Jesus. If you have to talk yourself into worship, if you have to talk yourself and convince yourself to give God praise, somebody better check your pulse. We check your temperature, but we need to take your pulse. After what he has done for me, He only gives us one lifetime to make it up to him, and it's not near enough. We are all debtors under the cross of Jesus Christ. Praise God. Praise God. What an awesome God we serve, and I trust you all. I suppose since you're here, you have survived another Christmas. Amen. Amen. Now, a walking breed this morning. Christmas trees are already showing up at the front of people's houses. Time to, time to, get rid of them, I suppose. Amen. One of the things that makes it difficult for us at Christmas time is that we worship the Lord that way all year long. We don't need some special holiday for us to get praise and honor to the Lord or to honor his birth in Bethlehem. But it is good to, uh, I guess, emphasize that for a little while, especially for our children. And uh, Sister Carrie approached me earlier and, and said she hoped I didn't preach three hours today because she has the kids. And I said, don't worry about it. Don't exaggerate. It's only going to be two hours and I, I, I know that if it was that long I'd be preaching to an empty church so it won't, <laughs> it won't I have to call an Uber to get home I don't know how to do it but I'll figure it out Praise the Lord. need to make a couple of announcements one is all the ladies wanting to read Guarding the Supernatural by Kim Haney uh, orders are being taken it is $8 per book deadline uh, is January 10th to get your your order ordering your money into Sister Bruce. Amen. Uh, also, beginning on the uh, January 2nd, which is a Saturday, we're going to begin 21 days of consecration. We'll conclude on Friday night, the 22nd, when we will have our late night or all night prayer meeting here at the church beginning at 9 o'clock. Uh, some of you have been handed out. If you haven't received these, make sure you get this before you leave. There's still some in the vestibule. This is the directions for us for the first seven days. Each seven-day period of this three weeks, we're going to begin focusing on one of the feasts of Israel. The first seven days, we're going to focus on the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And the, our, it's also called the Feast of Passover. Passover. And uh, we're going to focus on contrition and repentance. All the information is here for you. Uh, We're going to ask you to do something different uh, for you to make your own unleavened bread. If you were raised in a Jewish home, you'd already know how to do this. Uh, But the recipe is on the back for you to make your unleavened bread and ask that you will just eat on it through the week, uh, a reminder of what that represents. Uh, Also, uh, we're going to have a watch night service here on uh, the 31st, which is next Thursday. We will be taking communion, doing foot washing, and uh, we're going to be providing uh, baked, fresh baked unleavened bread uh, for the communion service. Uh, If you look at this, you'll read through this, you'll see we're asking for special fast days such as we're asking everyone participating to fast from Saturday till after service on Sunday. So when we come in here, we're all in one mind. We're fasting. We're separating ourselves from natural bread so that we can feast from the spiritual bread. Uh, Also, we're asking you to fast one other day during the week, and however you go about doing that is completely and totally up to you. We're also calling for a media fast. Now, what is a media fast? Basically, the intent here is to remove for the 21 days all sources of entertainment from our lives. Uh, If you want to do Facebook for the real purpose of communicating, but if you're going to surf Facebook just to see what everybody's doing, why don't you stay off of it. It's not necessary. Uh, I don't want to wake up on the 23rd of January and find out that uh, World War III has been going on and we didn't even know it. So if you want to keep tabs on things, the news, what's going on, these are just crazy times, fine, but let's just turn off the entertainment for 21 days, uh, and I believe that God's going to do something incredible in our midst uh, when we meet together on Friday night, the 22nd. Also, quick announcement, beginning on the second, well, actually, it's the first Thursday, I guess, January 7th, uh, we're going to begin a series uh, I would be teaching myself uh, entitled coming out of Sodom uh, it will take at least three uh, Thursday nights perhaps even four uh, something God has been working upon me uh, about for many many months and it's coming together now is a, a series that I think that God wants his people to know somebody say praise the Lord amen uh, I want to ask you to open your Bibles now that he has closed my app. I had to buy a new iPad because my other one was dying. It was crashing constantly. This thing is like lightning. It almost knows what I'm going to do and does it before I even touch the screen. Not really, but, but that's coming. A couple of years ago, this has been a couple of years now, we saw uh, I don't know if he was a high school kid or a college kid, but he connected things to his brain and then to his computer, and all he had to do was think the command, and his computer obeyed him. Scary stuff, right? what's yeah, going to get a lot scarier the closer we get to the coming of the Lord. Matthew 27 and 5 And he cast down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. What a joyful scripture to start with, right? Luke 22 and 62. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. Peter went out and wept bitterly. Turn to your neighbor, greet them, wave to them, elbow bump them. Stick your tongue out at them or something. Just tell them, I'm going to listen to the word today. And I'm sure the kids complied with the last request. That's the only time you get to stick your tongue out at your parents without getting smacked. (laughs) Those who are even somewhat uh, well-versed in the word of God know that these two scriptures that we read as our text are referring to two apostles, one by the name of Judas Iscariot and the other is Simon Peter. We're going to talk to you about something this this morning uh, called the perspective of faith. We have just about analyzed and dissected faith to the point that there's probably not much else we can learn about it, except I believe... Uh, we still do not really understand how faith works and and how faith operates within the human heart and the human soul. But this is important because we all hear and see things, but we perceive them in different ways. We we um, digest them in different ways. We catalog them in different places of our soul, and this is evidenced, of course, not just by experience, but in the Word of God, if we look at Simon Peter's life and we look at Judas Iscariot. In order to make my argument concerning this, I would like to read uh, something that King David wrote from Psalms chapter 21, uh, beginning in verse number 1. He says, the king shall joy in thy strength. The Lord, O Lord, and in thy salvation, how greatly shall he rejoice. That's good for the king, right? Thou hast given him his heart's desire, and hast not withheld the request of his lips. Selah. For thou preventest him with the blessings of goodness. Thou settest a crown of pure gold upon his head. He asked life of thee, and thou gavest it him, even length of days, forever and ever. His glory is great in thy salvation. Honor and majesty hast thou laid upon him, for thou hast made him most blessed forever. Thou hast made him exceeding glad with thy countenance. And then finally, verse 7, the king, for the king trusteth in the Lord, And through the mercy of the Most High, he shall not be moved. Pretty great being the king, right? All of these benefits and blessings and strength and mercy are afforded the king. But when David penned these words, he did so with a certain perspective that only a king could have. Now, I know we're all kings and priests, but that's a little bit different than being the king of a, of a dominion, of a country, of a nation, and, and having everyone else in the kingdom below you. We're all kings, but we're kings together in the kingdom of God. So when the scripture first shines the light on David, he is a young shepherd boy. And uh, you can quickly see how dedicated it he was to keeping his father's sheep in that he would not even let one little sheep be taken by a lion and a bear. I mean, most shepherds would chalk it up. Oh, it's only one. You can have this one. Come on. I'm going to try to get that that little sheep back. But not David. He was so dedicated. He was so committed to, to keeping every sheep of his father's flock safe that he was willing to jeopardize his life in fighting a lion and a bear. Not only was he not born of royal blood, but David was also not born into a family of reputed warriors. There were no generational, nor were there any familial expectations placed upon him whatsoever. Yet, this boy went from being a keeper of sheep to becoming one of, if not the greatest, warriors in the history of Israel. Killing Goliath rocketed David into immediate notoriety, causing him to go from obscurity to be adored by thousands and being instantly seated among men of great honor and of great esteem. In spite, however, of this elevated seat of national recognition and esteem, or perhaps I could say because of it, David would spend the next 20 years of his life as a, as a, uh, a refuge from the, uh, the jealousy of King Saul. Because of the notoriety, because of the recognition, I know There are some people, it is innate within them. They want to be recognized. Uh, They they want to be honored. They want to be uh, recognized for their abilities and their gifts. But there's things that comes along with that, my friend, that may not be as welcome as you think they are. And I want to add here that David would continue uh, to gain even greater perspective and greater notoriety throughout the 40 years that he would set on Israel's throne. But it's important to the narrative of Psalms 21 uh, because the long and the arduous and dangerous journey from the sheepfold to the throne was what gave David the perspective that he wrote with in Psalms chapter 21. If I was preaching to people who had never been through anything, I'm sure that this would be falling on deaf ears. If I was preaching to people that never fought a battle or never dealt with struggle or strife or or tribulation, you probably would not understand anything that I'm even going to talk about today, but that is not the case here. Psalms 21 reveals the blessed estate of a king. But I wonder about Us and even myself who lack that same perspective if we can really comprehend. We really understand the profundity of what David was saying in those seven verses. So it is to that perspective that we lend ourselves today perspective. Even as I was preparing uh, This message, I wondered if the perspective of faith can even possibly be achieved academically. Can you really get it out of a book? Can you really read something even if those words are divinely inspired by God and all of a sudden be granted the proper perspective of what faith is supposed to have or do or perform in our lives? I think not. That's why we experience God. We experience the spirit of God, the presence of God. We experience hardship. We experience tribulation. We know what pain is. We didn't read about it in a book. We have felt its sting in our own body and in our own soul. I am certain that God can reveal things to us and can broaden the spectrum of our understanding. He does this through His Spirit and through His Word. But if those things alone were adequate, what need would there be for a believer's faith to be tried by fire? 1 Peter 4 and 12 says, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. If there's one word I wish would be taken out, of the dictionary, it would be the word why. I wondered sometimes when I went to God with things, if he actually rolled his eyes? Oh, not again. But something tells me whenever he hears one of his children say why, that's what he does. Oh, brother. 1 Peter 1, 6, and 7, wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season. Everybody say a season. It's not forever. It's just a season. It's just for a time. It's just for a little while. If need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith be much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire might be found under praise. It'll find you giving praise. It might be found under praise and honor and glory. Not just today, but at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Woo! Hallelujah! Come on, that shout when you're under manifold temptations. It's going to carry you all the way to the appearing of Jesus Christ. Anybody can shout during good times. Anybody can walk in here and and give God praise when everything's going well. And some people can't even do it when things are going well. But now I I think that there are some people that are dismissing uh, the importance of such a pursuit of a perspective of faith let me be the one to inform you that it's easy for us, us, you and I, to assume that the king in David's reference, that he is blessed merely by royal or divine decree. And that's the reason that God does all of these things for the king. But if we don't know anything about the path, that that king had to walk in order to get to the throne. You know, Samuel poured a horn of oil on David's head and he anointed him king. But when the sun came up the next morning, David was not wearing the crown or he wasn't sitting on the throne and he wasn't wearing the king's robes. Now you gotta walk through some things, David. I put the anointing on you, but you gotta go through some stuff. You gotta endure some stuff. Because if you don't, when you do get to the throne room, you're not going to be a good king. We want God to just divinely decree his blessing upon us. But if he did that for us, we'd be nothing but a bunch of spoiled brats. And so many assumptions, this is what this led me to. Many assumptions are made by God's people about many things, especially about the people of God, especially about the gifts of the Spirit, especially about those that are used mightily by God through the Spirit and through His power. Let me introduce you to a name that will be familiar to you. You will not find it in the halls of the heroes of faith. But you've heard the name before. His name is Mike Tyson. What a brute. He will be forever known as the man that bought, bit off part of Evander Holyfield's ear in a boxing match. Outlive that reputation. So when you walk in a room, everybody goes. (laughs) (laughs) They're still doing that. Come on, guys. I just messed up a long time ago, but your ears are safe with me. Trust me. (laughs) But he's also famous for a following quote. The following quote is, and I know you've heard this before, and how this came out of this crude and uncouth man, I'll never know. But he said, everyone has a plan. Until he gets punched in the face. And he lived that. That's where that came from. And I think that I can speak for all of us in that when we entered the kingdom of God, when we were first baptized in Jesus' name, we first received the Holy Ghost spoken of the tongues, and my gosh. I think that I can speak for every one of us that we were filled with joy and exuberance and expectation. We had no idea that there was more that would come with that than this joyful feeling that I had. Woo, hallelujah. So whatever our lives consisted of at the time that we were baptized and received the Holy Ghost, our lives were made exponentially better by what God did for us and to us. Everybody does not come into the kingdom of God from the gutter. We didn't. We were working, living, newly married, lives going on. Everything seemed to be great. Except there was just something missing. And, and it, was, it was God. But every new Christian very soon discovers that they're not walking on the yellow brick road. They very quickly figure out that there is not a bunch of cute little munchkins following along singing happy songs. Yeah. So walking by faith was a new challenge for our Sister Bruce and I. But we very quickly developed a healthy and, let me say, necessary respect and even a reverence for the seasoned saints of God. Didn't take very long to realize who were the strong ones in the congregation. And what I'm attempting to do right now is give you a little bit of perspective Because God does not allow hardship or resistance in your life to punish you. Now, I'm speaking to somebody right now. I know I am in the spirit. You feel like everything you go through is punishment from God. The devil has so lied to you. Every time you go through anything, you are completely convinced that God is mad at you and God is punishing you. But I'm here to tell you it is a lie from the pit of hell. God does not step up and look down at his people and say, these got it too good. I'm going to make it a little harder for them. These people are too happy. They're too blessed. I'm just going to make it a little more difficult for them. That's not the God that I serve that describes the devil. What does God do? He wants you to be strong. He wants you to be resilient. He wants you to be tempered. He wants you to be a vibrant, uh, uh, Holy Ghost-filled saint of God. And so he allows these things to come your way, to temper you, and to give you strength, and to make you strong in the Lord and the power of his might. He's not punishing you. He's making you into a vessel of honor. We found out very quickly who to hang around and who not to hang around and who to, who to emulate. If you're going to spend a night in a foxhole, we have spent nights fighting devils and demons. I'm serious. We're not just, we're not just uh, uh, exaggerating that. When, you, when you're going to spend the night fighting devils and demons, you want somebody in the foxhole with you that knows how to pray. You don't want some spiritual wimp curl up in a fetal position hoping for dawn. You want somebody to get up off their hands and knees and to start praying in the Holy Ghost and taking authority in the name of Jesus. And what do you think God is preparing you for? I want to go to war I want to go alongside of Christians who have fought some spiritual battles Galatians 6:17. from henceforth let no man trouble me I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus Christ if you can find a saint of God that has no battle scars they haven't been through any battles So if you're a new Christian or new to the faith, the apostolic faith, let me give you just a little bit of advice before we go on. You need to find some seasoned saints of God, people that pray, not just talk about prayer, people that are faithful to the house of God, people that are faithful in the in the giving of their tithes and offerings, and they and they give cheerfully and joyfully. You need to find some people who have fought some battles, and you need to do what they do. You need to pray like they pray. You need to go where they go. You need to worship however they worship because that is what's going to get you through. It saddens me to believe that a lot of new converts have attached themselves to people that are carnal and do not pray and have no faith and that's why they did not make it. Somebody must have told me before to say it like it is. I guess I'm just doing what they said to do. Praise God. The Lord told Paul, and I know he was in a little bit different situation when God said this to him. He said, it is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And uh, likewise, I think that it's hard for you to kick also and realize God is not trying to kill you. He's not trying to beat you down. He is trying to lift you up. So if we can somehow, by God's grace, gain a proper perspective of faith, uh, then it will be a great benefit to us. But in order to do so, we cannot only focus on David's successes. We must also focus on his failures. failures. In David's case, he failed miserably. In David's case, his failure was mammoth. His failure was a sin that, according to the Mosaic law, demanded that he be stoned to death. This was a serious thing. In fact, he committed two sins. First, he committed adultery with the wife of one of his very good and trusted friends, a man that had been loyal to him for decades. Secondly, when Bathsheba became pregnant, David had Joab put Uriah in the front line where men are killed in battle. So his offense was very, very, very serious. Very serious. It was a failure of great magnitude. You would think... I would, that if David had not failed in this manner, uh, that his story, the story we read about in First uh, and 2 Samuel and Kings, that his story would be much better than it is now with that, that black mark upon it. But the question is, would it really? And would, would the success story of a man that never failed really be of, uh, of such a benefit to us? What a success story without any any implications of moral failure or, or of moral weakness or of character flaws. Is that really going to help me and you who realize we are just pretty much flawed? Thankfully, God put these things in the word of God. I'm glad, Jonah, you ended up in Nineveh, but I'm glad that you told the whole story. You had to be vomited out of a fish's belly before you ever consented to do the will of God. I'm glad that's in the book. It doesn't let me off the hook for my failures, but I'm glad that it's in the book because it lets me know that I'm not alone and you are not alone. So thank God that the Bible doesn't conceal the, the shortcomings and the failures and the faults of the men and women of God that did great things for God. I'm not implying that I have to say this so that there's no misunderstanding. I'm not implying that all men of God fail that way. The devil wants you to believe that every preacher is a hypocrite and every man of God watches porn and every woman of God is a gossip. Come on, that's a lie. I'm also not implying that it's okay to fail or sin in these particular manners whatsoever. But the reality of it is... The great men of God throughout the ages have failed. And it makes me wonder, as I stand here today, my soul is just wondering how many good men, how many good women of God have fallen away from God because somewhere, somehow, they were led to believe that their sin was too great for God to forgive. I wonder how many backsliders are out there right now. They, they want to go back to God, but they, they feel like that there's no way back. And that the saints of God that have been faithful all the years they've been out of church would just judge them and, and ridicule them and look down on them. My God. I'm sure, this is, as I stand here, that there are wonderful, wonderful people that will not come back to God because they're convinced of these things. When God told Paul in 2 Corinthians 12 and 9, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness, he was not just saying that to Paul. Now, he did say that to Paul, that Paul was writing it for all of our benefit. God is no respecter of persons. And so it tells me, and I can now tell you, that God's grace is sufficient for you, for us. It is sufficient for everybody. But here is our challenge. Here is the challenge that every one of us face. We're constantly presented with the stories and exploits of great men and women from the Bible we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses there are men and women of God that are so deep in the things of the Spirit and so mightily used of God and we're surrounded by these witnesses and these mighty men and women of God but the problem is we tend to always focus on their qualities And their attributes and their abilities i remember years ago anthony mangan stood in the pulpit and he said i can come to this pulpit and i do not need to be anointed by the holy ghost to preach and you will think i am but but i'm not now i do not have that gift anthony i cannot do that anthony i'm glad you can my brother but i'm not among them what is my point we always focus on the abilities and the attributes of these men and women of God. But we ought to be focusing on God. We ought to be focusing on God who took the ordinary, who took the castaways, who took the vagabonds, who took the undesirable and empowered them to do great and awesome and mighty things. In my perpetual state of inadequacy, I'm often reminded that God spoke through a donkey to Balaam. And if God can talk through a donkey, then God can probably talk through me. If he can get a hold of the mouth of a donkey and articulate words the way that donkey's mouth is made, may there's hope for me. We present men and women in the Bible who overcame great obstacles and who accomplished the impossible, but they did so through their faith. Through their faith. But here's the caveat. Those men and those women were just as flawed as you and I And if we do not have a proper perspective of faith, here's what we do. We place them so high on a pedestal that there's no way we could ever hope to stand among them. And so we don't even try. How did they get from this level to that level? Faith. They did not get there because they were promoted. Or they worked up the, the spiritual ladder. No, they got there by faith. And if they were standing there today and they can look down on us, they say, I don't even know how I got up here. But it was a God thing. I must rush on. Ty Cobb holds the record for the highest lifetime battery ever. Battery batting, battering, how do you say that? Batting. Average. Blah
1: blah
0: blah. If, if the left side of my face droops, call 911. <laughs> Shouldn't even joke about that, right? <laughs> but I did anyway. The highest lifetime batting average. Anybody want to s- pose a guess what it was? No, not even in the. Not even close. 366. 366. He is among two other batters. One of them, Ed Delahanty, and Rogers Hornsby, who batted 400 in three consecutive seasons. And it may shock some of you, it may shock all of you, when you come to realize that nobody in this room bats a 1,000. I know, Brother Andy, you're young in the Lord. You probably think, the bishop bets a thousand. I, I don't want to crush you, my friend. <laughs> but not even close. I would be happy with 366. Do you realize what that means? That means out of a thousand times it bad. Somebody do the math. Pretty much. Out of a thousand times of bat, Ty Cobb holds a record of only getting 366 on bases. Out of a thousand. What does that mean, Bishop? It means that everybody strikes out once in a while. Everybody does. There was one player, I just threw this in because it was interesting to me. His name is John Francis Pesoric. Who in 1945, anybody remember him? I'm not going to admit to that. No, I wasn't born yet. But 1945, he recorded a batting average of 1,000. But here's the deal. He only went to bat two times. Two times. If you're batting 1,000, it's only because you're not stepping up to the plate. So if anybody tells you that they win every battle, they're not being honest with you. If anybody tells you that they never strike out, they're not being honest with you. And they never step up to the plate. All God wants you to do, all God wants you to do, I'm talking to somebody here today. He wants you to just take your swings. That's all he wants you to do. Step up to the plate and take your swing. Say, what if I strike out? So what? I'd rather strike out than never have the opportunity to hit a home run. Failure, setbacks, disappointment, defeat are all part of every walk with God. Every walk with God. These distresses are amplified if you're called to any kind of ministry in the work of God. I'm not talking about the fivefold ministry, any kind of ministry. These distresses will be amplified. Say, well, I better not, I better not accept a call then. But there's something that is ultimately sad about this, and that is that certain assumptions or theories are inexplicably formed about people that worship week in and week out in our service in the spirit. And the assumption is that every time that they pray, God rolls out the red carpet. Every time they worship, angels roll out the red carpet for them. Every time they do anything uh, with God or in the spirit of God, it's just heaven opens up and it just pours out down upon them, and that is another lie from hell. We assume that these people never lose a battle, or perhaps maybe they don't even ever have to fight a battle. We assume that they never fail. They never get down. They never get discouraged. They never get depressed. They never get distressed. Where did you get that? Well, they're always worshiping. They're always praying in the spirit, in the prayer room. How do you think they got here? Some of these people had to walk through hell to get to the prayer room. They'll walk through hell to get to the sanctuary so that they can worship God and get away from their battles for a few minutes. They will shout with the voice of triumph while others sit silent in their unbelief. They don't need you to worship. They don't need you to stand up. They don't need you to shout. They can do it all on their own. God, my God we assume that if they were they've been through what I've been through it wouldn't be so easy for them though no, they've been through a hundred times what you've been through and that's why they're able to do what they do but here's the problem with that lie is that, that lie morphs into an excuse once it morphs into an excuse it produces prayerless powerless, faithless, stagnant Christians, I really hope to be further along than this, but we'll press on. I need to introduce Judas and Peter to you because these two men are diametrically opposed in outcomes. Both of these men, Judas and Peter, were personally chosen by Christ, handpicked they were to join a very select company comprised of 12 men, just 12. And when you think about that, out of the billions and billions of people that have lived since Adam, uh, these men were chosen to be among 12 who would forever be called the Apostles of the Lamb. Um, Over the last 2,000 years and even Today, there are apostles today. There have been many apostles, and thank God for their, their anointed ministry in the hour in which we live. But there will always only be 12 apostles of the Lamb. So these 12 men were offered a seat in the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, Luke twenty two twenty nine and I appoint unto you a kingdom as my Father hath appointed me that ye may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. This was no small thing. It was an eternal appointment. This appointment would require uh, Peter and Judas to be personally I said, required, it would be a blessing, but it was still a requirement for them to be personally taught, tutored, trained, and mentored by Jesus Christ himself. Now, if you're taught, trained, tutored, and mentored by Jesus Christ himself and you can't make it, something is really wrong with that picture. Besides this unique and this divine mutual calling that rested upon them, they really had little in common. We don't know what Judas did for an occupation. We have no idea. Some may want to guess at that, but we really do not know. But there was something else that connected these men in a very strange and unusual way. And that connection would be they would both, having been trained, tutored, chosen, mentored by Jesus Christ, they would both fail God. And both of their failures would be monumental. I'm not talking about just failing to show up at church on a Thursday night or on a Sunday. No, they would fail God and they would fail in a monumental way. They would, both of them, bring shame, reproach, and dishonor upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they would fail at his most critical hour. At his most critical hour. One would become a story of redemption, the other a story of untold tragedy. And I think about that, a story of redemption. I, I actually, I know what I want my story to be, but I can't really say what it is until the final chapter has been written and has, has been sent to the, to the printer. For binding, I don't know what it's going to be. I want it to be a story of redemption. In Peter's case, he failed and his became a story of redemption. Judas failed and he became a story or his story was a story of tragedy. One of these men would go on to have a powerful ministry. The other went to an untimely death. One would rise from the jaws of defeat while the other would plunge headlong into the flames of hell. And the vault that holds the ashes of these two men is forever sealed along with the epitaph that is engraved in stone concerning their lives but not mine and not yours. The stone engraver has not picked up his tool for you yet. There's still time to change what that epitaph will be. You have an opportunity to determine if you're going to be a story of redemption or you're going to be a story of tragedy. Praise God. Tracing Peter and Judas' course back to the beginning would be too arduous it would take too much time it would be too exhausting and it is not even necessary I'm sure that there were signs along the way uh, that would have predicted the outcome of each of these men or the behavior or conduct that that they would have at this critical hour the night that Jesus was arrested that night uh, of which we speak, would be the last evening uh, that, that these men uh, would spend with Jesus Christ. It would be the last evening. Now, I know you can say, well, after he was resurrected, I get that, but I'm talking about before uh, he went to the cross. This is the last time they will be with their Lord and Savior before he is taken from them and, and beautifully, beautifully mutilated. Keep in mind, They had no idea. They did not know that. Jesus did not say, now, look, guys, it's going to be the last time we get together. You need to make the best of this evening. He, He didn't tell them that, and so they did not know it. He gave them signs and clues, but they didn't pick up on any of those things. And so I've got to tell you that none of us know for sure whether this is going to be our last opportunity, our last service. Nobody really knows that for sure. You may drive to the church on, on January 21st and there are chains on the door. You may drive to the church on January 22nd and the building has got a, a yellow tape around it and you're not even uh, allowed to get inside and, and you might try to call the pastor, but his He doesn't pick up his phone and you try to call the bishop and he doesn't answer his phone. What is going on? And the only place you can go is on your knees to God. I'm telling you, you don't know that the trumpet might sound and this is actually someday it's going to be our last service. And I think about the men and women of God that have gone on to be with the Lord. There was a time and place where it was the last service they were in. So he's trying to scare me now. No, I'm not. They didn't know. And because they didn't know, there were things done and said that could have helped Peter and Judas both avoid their downfall. As they entered into the upper room that had been prepared for the Passover meal. Uh, as they sat down there and they, they really had never experienced anything like this. I mean, that's that's really saying something because they had, they had been in, in many hundreds of meals with. Christ and they had been with him hundreds of times three and a half years almost night and day they were rarely ever separated from him and yet they had experienced nothing they had witnessed nothing in the previous three and a half years that would even prepare them for what's getting ready to take place in that room praise God you know I long for that I long for God to take us from the ordinary I long for God to visit us in a way that it will change everything about us. That it will be so profound. It will be so powerful. It will be so revelatory. That nobody will walk out of this place the same as when they walked in. And that's what they were walking into. But This intimate gathering would prove to be the most profound few hours that they would have ever spent with their Lord. And unbeknownst to them, before the sun would rise. On the next morning, Jesus would be in custody of the Sanhedrin and on his way to the cross. I have to confess that it's difficult to ascertain the sequence of events that as they happened in the upper room because. You have to read all of the four gospel accounts to really see what actually happened there. And nobody really tells the story from beginning to end. And so we're simply going to try and point out a few things that are relevant to our pursuit of the perspective of faith. Before we do, I want to emphasize the importance of faith. Importance of faith. I'm not going to have time to. To explain to you, but I've been praying for months and months and months and months for our prodigals. And, and, and I got to the point where, say, God, I don't know what else to pray. I don't know what else to say. But through the course of this, God revealed to me that, that because of what happened here, and again, I don't think I'll have time to explain it, but he said you need to pray that their faith fails not. written of Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 32 and 20, that they were children in whom is no faith. Children in whom there is no faith. What does that mean? I mean, you, they can see fire come down on Sinai. It ain't going to make any difference. They can see the glory of God in Moses' face when he comes down from the mount. It's not going to make any difference. And so the story of Judas is the story of a man that had no faith. How do you explain three and a half years with Jesus Christ? It is presumed that what you see and hear in the house of God will elevate or add to your faith. Faith comes by hearing. You know, I get that. But if this were the... The case in total, if this is all there was to the issue of faith, Judas would have had faith at night. And his faith would have would have helped him in the situation he found himself in. So while faith is a substance of things hoped for, I'm going to say something I've never said before in all of my years of ministry. I know I've got your attention. While faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, it is indelibly tied or connected to our free will. If it was not, then it would be equitable to everybody. But it's tied to free will. If you go to hell, it's because you choose to go. If you choose to go to heaven, it's because you choose to go if you choose to walk out of here and live for God, it's because you choose to do it. You choose either to believe or not to believe. And so if you are moved by the power and the presence of God, it is because you choose to be moved. Oh, man, I feel the Holy Ghost now. Oh, hallelujah. Why doesn't God's presence and power affect everybody the same? Because we choose how we're going to be affected. We choose whether we're going to be moved or not. Praise God. My God, help us. My God, help us. I want you to notice something. Jesus never prayed for Judas. There's no record of it. But he did pray for Peter. But all he prayed was for Peter's faith to not fail. You're going to strike out, young man. You're going to fail me miserably. But if you would just hold on, if you'll just have faith. According to Matthew's account, I must rush on. Uh, Entering the upper room, the disciples they began eating the Passover meal. Uh, we're not going to go into that. We're going to we're going to do the the bread and the cup on Thursday night, and and our pastor will explain more about that. We're not to go going to go into that at all. But the Bible says, as they were eating, Jesus began talking to them, and he says this across the table: "Verily I say unto you that one of you shall betray me." I don't know if they were all paying attention or not, but they all. They all looked up. They were in shock. They were completely baffled by this that Jesus said, one of you, one of the 12 in this room, one of you guys, that have hung out together for three and a half years. One of you have been hiding something. You've been keeping a secret in your heart that nobody else knows, but I know it. One of you will betray me. In their shocked and appalled condition. They were exceeding sorrowful, the Bible says. That's Bible language. And they were sorrowful to the point that every one of them were so taken back, they began one by one saying, Go oh God, Lord, is it me? Next one, Lord, is it me? This one across the table, Lord, is it me? Lord, is it me? They're wondering, is there something in my heart that I, I haven't I haven't recognized or acknowledged Is it me? Then Jesus says this. Go unto to the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It had been good for that man if he had not been born. That seems to me that Judas would have had to know. I know there are other, other gospel accounts, he who dips his hand in the sop and so on. But with this account in Matthew, Judas, to me, he had to know that Jesus was referring to him. I, I mean, if a prophetic voice comes forth and says something so-and-so, it was better for them not to be born, and I know it was me, you better come and pray for me because I'm going to be on my face. You better come and lay hands on me because I'm going to be crying out to God with everything that's in me. But Judas did not move. My God. Judas sheepishly asked, Deceptively asked, Lord, is it I? Knowing it was him, Jesus said, Thou hast said. Praise God. Uh, I don't know if I ought to do what I am thinking about doing or not. I'm just waiting on the Lord. I have seen, I'm not rejoicing in it or happy about it, but I have seen many of our prodigal sons and daughters in the house of God during times of a visitation of God. And I've seen them sit stoically, unmoved, unstirred, no emotion, no response. Other people are weeping, crying, worshiping in spirit and truth, praising God. The glory of God is coming out. I've I've seen them sit completely unmoved, unstirred. So I'm going to ask you the question. If you can't feel God... Here today, or if you have no fear of God's judgment, or if you are not moved in your spirit and deep within your soul, you need somebody to loose you. You need somebody to loose you because if something doesn't change hell's gonna send a welcoming party one day if you can't feel God if you have no fear of God's righteous judgment you need somebody to pray for you it came to me early this morning and and uh i just kind of dismissed it but the lord said what you need to do is you need to ask the congregation if there's anyone who is demon possessed to come down to the front and have that devil cast out of them because if you can't feel god you want to know why judas was so bold and cold because the Bible says the devil had entered into him. He sat at Jesus' table, demon-possessed, on his way to hell, getting ready to hang himself, impale himself on a stake. And so God said, why don't you just ask the congregation if there's any present who is demon-possessed and bound by spirits who really wants to be free, who really wants to feel God, who really wants to be saved, who really wants to be forgiven. If they will come to the front, I will deliver them. Jesus did not make that offer to Judas. He did not make that offer to him that he's making to you right now. while you're thinking about your decision. First of all, let me tell you how the devil dealt with Judas. After he was done using him, he let him kill himself. What did that devil do then? He just went on to somebody else. You think, you think your end is gonna be pleasant? There's some of our prodigals They'll have a spirit of self-destruction upon them. They're self-destroying themselves before God with their spirit and their attitude. But then if matters were not worse, Jesus gets out a pan of water and he starts washing disciples feet and when he comes to Judas Judas puts his feet right in that water that's the spirit I feel warring with me right now that's that spirit of rebellion that is warring with me That I'm fighting against right now. I'm going to win the battle. But how about you? I'm going to win my battle. But how about you? I'm going home with the Holy Ghost. Are you going to go home with that spirit? Jesus washes his feet. Stand with me. I'm not near finished preaching, but I'm going to close anyway. At least Peter, as dumb and stupid stupid as his response was, at least... He had an, just enough humility to say, you oh, ain't going to wash my feet. You want to know something? That's what saved him. I know what Jesus said. Look, if I don't wash your feet, you will have no part of me in my kingdom. It's a small thing to you. It's a big thing to me. I'm setting an example. I'm, I'm setting a precedent. So, Peter, this is a big deal with me. And so Peter said, okay. My feet, my hands wash all of me. All of me. That's the kind of spirit of an individual that God can save and can deliver. Bless God. You want to know something? You know what Judas did in the upper room? He did what people come in here and do. They come in with their sin, their their ungodliness, their unbelief, and they mock God. They mock God. While the people of God are worshiping and giving praise to God, they mock God. Let me tell you something. The Bible says God will not be mocked whatsoever a man soweth that shall he also reap. Musicians, please join me on the platform. Judas tried to undo what he did. You've always heard the saying you cannot unring a bell. You can't undo sin. You can't undo it. There's only one cure for sin. It's forgiveness from God, God's mercy and grace. He tried to undo it, couldn't undo it. And so he went out and impaled himself on a stake. The Bible says he hanged himself, but that's basically what he did. Went with a rope on a tree. How desperate do you have to be? to throw yourself on a stake. Oh, my gosh. But that's what the spirit of rebellion does to people. But then we come to Peter, Peter with the keys of the kingdom, Peter who had the revelation, now the son of the living God. Peter said, look, I'm willing to go and die with you. And the Lord said, you know, you think that, but before the cock crows, you will deny me three times. No, 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 no. You don't know who you're talking to, Lord. And so, next morning, Jesus is arrested. Peter follows afar off and. He enters the court, outer court of the Sanhedrin where Jesus is being buffeted and interrogated and mistreated and abused. He had three, three opportunities to say, I know him, he's a, he is the Messiah. And I know him, he's the Lord of glory. And I know him, he's Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. But he didn't. He said, I don't know him. I don't know who you're talking about. I wasn't with him. Never heard that name before. Do you know the Bible says, if you deny me, I will deny you? So the sin of denial and the sin of betrayal, I mean, these are pretty serious sins. And yet, one man's story ends in tragedy, the other man's story ends in redemption. And when the cock crewed, Peter realized that he had just denied his Lord three times. He had just failed miserably. He stepped up the bat, three strikes, and you are out. What do I do now? He went somewhere and found an altar to pray. And he wept bitterly. He wept before his God, bitterly weeping. He had so failed miserably. But Jesus' prayer came to pass. And his faith did not fail. So what do you mean, Bishop? I'm going to open the altar just a moment. In the worst possible failure this man could have committed, his faith led him out of his darkness His faith led him out of his despair. His faith pointed him toward God. Why didn't Judas go that way? He didn't have faith. But Peter's faith, the devil was laughing and he was carrying on and he was rejoicing. Peter didn't go up against a spirit. He went up against Satan himself. And God said, the Lord said, look, I know you're not going to fare too well. I know you're going to take a beating. I know you're going to get beat up. But I'm going to pray that your faith will survive the beating you're getting ready to take. And it did. And that faith led him to a place of prayer. And that's where it needs to lead you right now. The offer still stands. Anybody in this room, you want the devil cast out of you. The devil has no power here. He has no authority here. You understand that? If you want to go home free of that spirit, it's not that difficult. It's not that hard of a thing for a bunch of apostolic Jesus name people. So the altar still stands. You that want to come and pray, please. Let's gather at the altar. I know you failed. I know. I know that the devil holds it over you. I know that you have went through several days not prayed and you just got beat up. I just, why didn't I pray? Why didn't I get up and pray? And you just got beat to a pulp. I know sometimes you should have been strong and you you weren't. You were weak and you just beat yourself up over it. Nobody bets a thousand, folks. Nobody bets a thousand. You're afraid to come because you think we're going to cast the devil out of you. Come on. Come on, you're safe. You're safe. We might lay hands on you, but if you want deliverance, you come to me or the pastor. That's that's the way this
1: works. If you're tired of battling that devil. Come on, when we get to heaven, we're going to have a story to tell. We're going to have a testimony. Lord, you. No one else what God do has done. What God has wrought. What God has saved us from along the way. Chains are broken. Hearts and are broken. Come on, it's time for some of you the to step Rick up to the plate right now. Take a swing of faith. Grace are bending, grace is standing, times,
0: come on, get up to the plate, take a swing of bank,
1: pray for somebody. Yeah. yeah. Keep okay. your mind.
0: our beginning you all know the problems that our son had his girlfriend came to him either last night or night before said hey I'm going to smoke some dope you know what he said to her get away from me with that that's a miracle your sons and your daughters, God's working right now, right now. You may not be able to see it, but you got to believe it. See, why would God hear my prayers? Because you have faith. Because you're a child of God. That's why. You see, so many of God's people, oh, God won't hear me. I, I'm a failure. Hey. Welcome to the club. When you finally figure out that our victory is his victory over the grave, over death and over hell, you'll stop wallowing in the mire of (laughs) self-defeat. How can you claim victory, Bishop? Because when they ran to the tomb, he was not there anymore. You think he died and shed blood just to get you into the kingdom, knowing that you got a long ways to go before you get to heaven? His blood covers you every step of the way. I wouldn't flaunt that because that's willful sinning, but you got to know God's got it covered. If any man sin, John said, he is an advocate with the Father. Yeah. The devil had me one time all twisted and tied up. When I went to the Lord, he would say, oh, you again? He'd, he'd say that to me, but not like that. Oh, you again? Come on in. There's only one perfect one in this room and you can't see him. His presence is here, but you can't see him. But I'm going to leave you with this. Judas was with Jesus in person. And he was in a relationship, very close, intimate relationship with the other apostles of the Lamb and yet he failed God. We are not that fortunate. The apostles of the Lamb are long gone. They're long dead. As far as I know, there's no prophet in this room. Jesus is here, but in spirit only. You can't see him. If you and I are going to get saved, we're going to have to get what is here. We're going to have to get a hold of what is here. That means you might have to fight through unbelief. You might have to fight through flesh. You might have to fight through a number of family, generational things to get it. But bless God, it's here if you want it. Praise God. Praise God. If you can be with us Thursday night in the Watch Tonight service, please be here. It will make a, a real difference in your life when you... Partake of the Lord's supper. We examine ourselves, and as we stand before God and remember what He did to save us. You well, know, I don't like washing feet. Well, you don't have to do that. Only those that want to partake do it. There's always some that don't. Don't let that keep you from church Thursday night. You come to church nothing wrong with standing back there with the men if you're a man and praying while the others do it or if you're a lady in here but just come and, and it, it will set the pace for 2021 it will it will Lord bless you Pastor you have anything to add God bless you in Jesus name